listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. All right. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel 18 through 20. Uh, it's a little harder to follow than uh, probably our order of worship because we're taking selections out of those chapters. Again, we're trying to make sure that we do our best to get through these narratives in First and Second Samuel as we move forward without leaving out important things and also to, without taking scripture out of context. And so um, we're going to be looking at those scriptures that are in the order of worship today. Our journey through First and Second Samuel has confronted us with a lot of questions so far. Uh, one was that we really immediately talked about was what expectations should we have for our leaders? Another thing we talked about, how do you choose faith over fear in the world that we live in and the world, by looking at the examples that we saw in the world that uh, Samuel was in, how do we give up control and the control that we want to have over others? Are we not supposed to submit to authority? And is our desire for leaders over us actually wrong? There's so many questions that we've looked at so far, and there's going to be more to come. And so let's continue through these stories by looking at our passage for the day. We're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel 18, and uh, we're going to read the first two paragraphs here uh, in the beginning, and then we'll work through the other paragraphs later. 1 Samuel 18, 6 says, As they were coming home, the, the Israelites had been at, uh, in battle again with the Philistines. After they had coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands? What more could he want to have besides the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, open our eyes today, open to see what you would have us to see from your scripture. Send your spirit of truth and wisdom upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. We looked at the story of David versus Goliath. And you, as you remember, and, and you, as you know, it was an underdog story. Last week, we saw David depending on God and win a great victory. Beyond the fact that David faced odds and uh, faced the odds and won only by God's help, which he acknowledged, there's something more human that's going on in this story than just David and God or Saul and God. There's a lot of relationships here, a lot of emotions that we're about to talk about. Think about it. David's fight against Goliath showed that David was actually a better man than King Saul. I mean, think about it like this. We talked about it before. See, Saul, when he walked in to the, the, the scene as a, as a king, he was seen as a giant of a man in relation to the rest of God's people, yet he was afraid of the Philistine giant, Goliath. <coughs> he had never backed down, 
in, in, in any of his battles until then. And then David's just a young man. He wasn't afraid. And he was angry that God was mocked. And then here's another crazy thing that a lot of people don't talk about. See, Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. The, the, the tribe of Benjamin, the Benjaminites, were actually known as for using slings in battle and being proficient at it. Now David, who's not a Benjamite, who killed Goliath with a slingshot, is a better Benjamite, Benjamite than Saul. You think those things have not gotten under Saul's skin? He doesn't e even know that Saul has anointed David king yet. He already hates David. King Saul is so, de uh, he's so jealous right now. But David really hasn't done anything directly to Saul. To make matters worse, we're about to see something else. Jonathan, who we're about to see, Saul's son, loves David like a friend and like a brother. This is getting worse. So how's it going to turn out here? What are we going to see the dynamics of King Saul and how jealous he is of David? See, this is not just a God story today, which is always a God story, but this is a human interest story. Meaning all the emotions that Saul is going through, we experience them too, and we're going to see how. All the, all the things that David and Jonathan have gone through, we experience that in some way as human beings in every day in our life. This is what I love about the Bible. It's not just the sterile story of these nice, clean-cut people. God's Word is a reminder that, yes, He is perfect in His majesty and His glory, but it's also about broken people like us that we can relate to in all our messy lives and our emotions. So let's talk about this today. Let's look at three points. We're going to talk about Saul's jealousy of David. We're going to talk about Saul's hatred toward David. We're going to talk about Jonathan's love for David. So let's look at John's, uh, uh, sorry, Saul's uh, jealousy of David. And we already saw the two paragraphs there, but look at the third paragraph that we look at. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. This is verse 12 there. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Now we've talked about the fact that, that King Saul was a man's man and he was known as a warrior. Now the people of God are seeing David as the main guy to fight their battles. Remember, that's what they always wanted. When they asked for Saul, they were like, we want a king to fight our battles. And now David's fighting their battles for them. And the people are saying, yeah, I mean, Saul, he, he led us into battle and we killed thousands. David is helping us kill, kill ten times that many. Saul hears about it, and he says, it's not just about the battles, now it's becoming about the kingdom. But the more we get to know the situation here, it's not even really about either. In Saul's mind, it's about his ego. See, as many of you know, I recently, uh, I got another truck. Some of you are saying, thank goodness. Uh, if you've been around for a while at the church, you know my old church had a few issues. Uh, like it couldn't make it over the hill to go to Birmingham, no AC and 100 degree weather issues. Uh, but anyway, my new truck has AC. It's a blessing. And uh, it's better than I deserve. Even though it's 10 years old, it's a pretty pretty good sized truck. 
And it's kind of been getting to my ego a little bit. i got to be honest about that. But then the other day, I went to a tractor supply parking lot. And when you go to a tractor supply parking lot, there's always one guy or two guys or three guys that have a bigger truck, a bigger lift kit, and, and you have these $80,000 ranch trucks that made my truck look small. So that's what happens, right? And I started thinking about this. At some point in our lives, and we all know this, and the older we get, we realize that there's always somebody better looking than us, more popular than us, that does a better job than we do at our job, and has a better job than us, that's stronger than us, more clever than us, smarter than us, more beautiful, more fashionable than us, more in shape than we are, more cut than us, can run faster, have more money than us, more skills, and more talent than us. That's life. <coughs> the last of the Ten Commandments says this, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. To covet, think about it, means to experience a strong desire to have something that belongs to someone else. To sum it up, it's a jealousy for what others have, and we have all experienced it, no matter how old we are or how young we are. And Paul, I mean, Saul is experiencing it here. See, when you are jealous or envious of other people, there's two ways to go with it. You can either take it to God and repent of it, or you can let it fester like a sore wound. King Saul, in relation to David, chooses to harbor hostility, and we're about to see the result of it. Looking up Roman numeral number two, Saul's hatred toward David. Uh, chapter 19 here says uh, in our passage here, that's the that would be the fourth paragraph of the order of worship. And Saul spoke to David, his son, and all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan spoke of David to Saul, his father, and said, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. And there was war again. David went out and fought the Philistines, struck them down with a great blow, so that they fled before him. And a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, and he sat in his house with a spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre, or a harp. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear to the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Look at what it brought him to. See, this is an ongoing saga. We've already been seeing it some uh, throughout this in two ways. Saul is uh, now plotting to kill David, but the wars continue. And Saul keeps sending David to the front lines because he's being passive-aggressive here in the beginning, hoping that David would just get killed in battle. He keeps trying to do that instead of getting rid of him himself. Here's another thing. It's not that Saul is losing. It's just that David's winning. And in this scene, Saul's talking to his guys uh, and, and Jonathan and suggests that they kill David. This is like something out of Shakespeare here. Jonathan's playing two roles here, the voice of reason and Saul's son, who is quickly becoming best friends with David. He realizes that Saul's getting obsessed to a point of madness. And basically, Jonathan says, David came in, he did nothing but obey your orders. Never did you wrong. Dad, where is this coming from? Think about it. 
The first time that David came into Saul's court was a call by Saul to bring somebody in to soothe his soul. But now, as he's just doing the same thing, his personal assistant, now Saul's anger is welling up within him. See, he used to be able to enjoy David's music. But now, now in the emotional state that he's in, it's not music anymore. It's just a reminder of all the things that Saul hates about David. Saul picks up the spear that's in his hands and he tries to stick David to the wall. David ducks. Saul misses. David runs away. What's next? We're about to see. Roman number three. Let's look at Jonathan's love for David. So it says there in the last couple paragraphs there, so Jonathan knew his father was determined to put David to death. And then Saul said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord will be with between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and he departed and Jonathan went to the city. So here we have it. King Saul is trying to get his son, Jonathan, like the rest of the people in, God's, in, in, in Israel, the rest of God's people, he's trying to get them to choose between him and David. You ever notice this? When you or I or others are trying to get our way or we want to prove our point or get our agenda accomplished so bad that we start, start speaking in ultimatums, it's a mood of desperation where people start saying, it's either my way or the highway. And then the person, whether it's you or me, stops listening to the voice of reason and starts looking for people that are just on their side. This is what Saul's doing right now. David senses this from his dad. So what does he do? Well, let me tell you about his next move. He applauded with David for David to hide out in the field. And he said, I'm going to do a little secret code here with a bow and arrow, and I won't get into all of what he's doing. You can think maybe a secret handshake or something like that. But they had a secret code with a bow and arrow. And they, um, Jonathan told David, yes, my father is set on killing you. Uh, and that the next time that he sees you, he said, you're going to die. So being friends, they embrace each other. They weep with each other. It says David wept the most. And Jonathan says, in the end of the passage we read, May the Lord in the future bring harmony to my family and yours for the days to come. Also, think about it like this. It's easy to think that, oh yeah, this is easy for, for Jonathan. Jonathan has everything to lose here. Maybe his life. He's the king of the sun. Up until now, Jonathan has been loyal to his dad and his family. But now, through the grace of God, he acknowledges a bigger loyalty. That even includes outsiders to his family. Jonathan could have followed his father's footsteps. Literally, he was the son of the king. But instead, he chose to acknowledge God's plan. He chose love instead of hatred. Admiration instead of jealousy. Never thinking that he, being the son of the king, what he might get out of it. Look at our quote for the day. It's at the very beginning of the bulletin. And then I've got a couple of thoughts to end with. says this, of the many events that have befallen David since his introduction into Saul's court, the friendship of Jonathan is of considerable significance. 
The David-Jonathan relationship receives a vast amount of attention in chapter because of the loyalty that surpasses family and clan and tribe compared to the loyalty that lies with God's anointed. Big difference between David, I mean between uh, Jonathan and Saul. So let me ask you this. Is this just a love conquers all story? You better believe it. That is, that is what it is. Like Jonathan's love for David is what drew him out of um, being consumed with the jealousy and the hatred that his father had. But it's not as simple as that. Here's what we need to be thinking here, I think, in the end about a few things. The stories in the Bible call for you and I to think of these people as people first. Yes, they're kings and they're heroes and warriors, and sometimes they can seem like fairy tales from a long time ago. You know, they're humans just like you and me. Relating to Saul, he felt from the beginning that he was the right job, guy for the job, and he had the skills to back it up. Only as of now, he feels inferior instead of superior. Jonathan is the king's son. He's torn between loyalty and his father and friendship with David. David is anointed king, chosen king by God, but now he's having to wait on his appointed time. There's so many emotions. There's a big drama here. Maybe you found yourself in one of these personalities today. What do we do with that? Well, the Bible reminds us that all these things in our lives can be a long journey on the way to discovering how to be content in every circumstances. We have three different circumstances here. And each of them have a temptation to not be content and grateful with those. See, life is not just a series of doorways that we walk through. It's a series of steps in a journey, a path, just long obedience in the right direction, as Eugene Peterson, the pastor, would say. But at some point, we have to strive to be grateful to God for every blessing that he's given us. And then, only then will we be inclined to be less jealous people. We have to be thankful for the blessings of God, the gifts that he has given those, and gifts that we currently all possess. If not, then you will never be able to dignify people and love people the way that God would call you to do. At the end, here's the last question. Is this really Saul against David, or is it Saul against God projected on David? Here's what I mean. Jealousy of any sort is a form of discontentment. Discontentment means that we are not happy or thankful with the talents and the resources that God has given us. God has given you, God has given me certain gifts from who he is. We're made in the image of God. We all have a particular glory in this room that God has given us that's unique to us, made in his image. Rest in that. Be grateful for that. Be content with that. Be bold in using the gifts that God has given you, knowing that you're the only person that had all the perfect gifts and can serve people in a way that we can never do is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can do that. God is not calling you to be perfect. God is not calling you to measure up. God is saying, use the gifts that I've given you. Use the things that I've given you and be grateful and be bold in those. And when you're doing that, realize that, that, that he can also use other people around you, maybe in ways that you can't uh, be used in the same ways. And be amazed by that. See, God is not calling you or me to be everyone's hero and savior. Only Jesus can do that, as we said. And when you understand that, when you understand that Jesus is the leader and the friend and the savior, all the things that we talked about in the story that everyone needs, you can relax 
You can play your part. You can avoid jealousy and discontentment that can consume us all. Let's just rest in Christ with our gifts. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your word uh, hits to the heart of who we are. And uh, it's raw, messy at times. Um, we find ourselves in the story so often. And uh, Lord, we're just thankful that you have crafted your stories like that. Thank you that you have used people like us. We are honored. Help us to be grateful for what we have. Uh, as little or as much as it, that is. And help us to use those gifts for others and not for ourselves. Protect us against our own egos. Uh, help us to serve others in the way that you came and served uh, and by laying your life down on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.